0: This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Diggs. Check out the website www.ReachingTheFinishLine.com, the finish dot com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. Reaching the finish dot com. And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. Sarah is the New York Times best-selling author of the Paleo approach, as well as she authored uh, a cookbook called the Paleo Approach Cookbook. And her new book she has out now is called the Healing Kitchen. I took the opportunity to have Sarah on because uh, one thing that I know that a lot of entrepreneurs have is unfortunately health problems. You know, a lot of times, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're working uh, 10, 12, 14, even 16 hour days. And sometimes it's hard to be uh, kind of cognizant of our health. And many entrepreneurs have autoimmune diseases, uh, which is what we're going to talk about with Sarah in depth, but they're not even aware of these autoimmune diseases. So Sarah, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: A big portion of the audience, they're trying to get their businesses started. Um, you know, they, they're putting a lot of hours in as, as any startup. They're putting 14, 16 uh, hours a day, trying to, trying to get their uh, business off the ground, trying to get venture capital. But one thing that holds them back is the health. And that's one thing I want to talk to you about, being that uh, you're a doctor. Uh, I want to kind of start off with, uh, for me, uh, I would say generally, you know, I, you know, I am a healthy person. But anytime, as you talked about, uh, very, uh, very well in your book, how, how the importance of stress. Plays a role in your in your health. It can really change things around. Uh, For me, uh, I I, I didn't notice I had an autoimmune condition until uh, after working so many uh, uh, twelve to fourteen hour days as an entrepreneur, trying to get capital and all that things. You know, suddenly I just broke down, and I had this like this huge uh, like knot in my stomach, and I was. I didn't know. It. I just, I just initially thought maybe, hey, maybe it's acid reflex, and then it went from one day to a week, and I was like, well, maybe this is GERD, and it, and I didn't realize that I until I, I got my blood test done that was something you know much more serious, you know definitely classify as an autoimmune uh, mm-hmm. disorder, but that kind of reflects on, uh, you know, the things that you highlight about the importance of, you know, managing your stress uh, more efficiently. Uh, so that way, you know, even when you consume healthy foods, your body is, uh, is, is able to uh, operate optimally. Let's talk about that, Sarah. Let's talk about sure. uh, these chronic illnesses and these autoimmune diseases, the rising epidemic, and, and how a diet like AIP can be a solution.
1: So, um, autoimmune disease gets very, very little airtime in the media. I mean, we don't talk about it the way we talk about cancer or cardiovascular disease. Meanwhile, there's about uh, double the number of autoimmune disease sufferers in America compared to people affected by cardiovascular disease, and about four times as many as people who are affected by cancer. Um, it's about one in five of us. So that's fifty to sixty million Americans mm-hmm. that are suffering from at least one. Autoimmune disease, but autoimmune disease is this is this very broad umbrella, right? It includes approximately 140 different diseases, and there's no such thing as an autoimmune disease specialist. So you go see the the type of doctor that deals with the organs that are affected, mm. and that that makes it very hard as an autoimmune disease sufferer to a get an accurate diagnosis b get a diagnosis that is accompanied by the word autoimmune disease and then c get any kind of guidance as to what other changes we can make that will help us be healthier so if you get a diagnosis of cardiovascular disease you'll get a list of you know things that you can do to to you know improve your health like mm-hmm. stop smoking and be more active right like these there's this list of things when you get a diagnosis with autoimmune disease a, most of the time there's there's not a, a good medication option. All of the medications are symptom management. None of them address root cause. So there is no cure. And then B, we tend to sort of like, here's your steroids, off you go. And so it ends up being um, a very, very frustrating situation for something that affects so many of us. It's really sad that there aren't better resources, there isn't better information, and that there's not better recognition of... Not just how this group of diseases impacts quality of life, but also, you know, on a, on a more um, practical a policy type level, how much autoimmune disease costs our country between, you know, the, the medical bills um for for you know various aspects of diagnosis follow-up uh flares treatments hospital stays and how much it costs in terms of days missed from work right inability to to maintain our jobs Mm -hmm. and so there's a there's a whole pile of different things going on here so one is increasing awareness of autoimmune disease Mm -hmm. two is increasing education in terms of what we can do to give our bodies the best situation in order to, to be healthy despite our conditions. Mm-hmm. And then C is just really um, honing in on, I think, developing a, a, a better um, medical community in terms of awareness and, um, and ability to provide education.
0: Yeah. So so you have these different autoimmune disorders. Actually I didn't even know a celiac disease was an autoimmune mm-hmm. disorder until I read your book. It's one of the most
1: common ones.
0: Yeah. I think there's like over what, a hundred of them, right, Sarah?
1: Um so it depends on how you count them. So there's about a hundred that are absolutely confirmed autoimmune diseases we know without a shadow of a doubt. Mm. What um what antibodies the body is making by accident, what tissues are being attacked. There's about another forty or so where we're pretty sure they're autoimmune. Mm -hmm. There's some, there's some, you know, details left to figure out. But, you know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, chances are good. It's an autoimmune disease. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And then there's still another collection of a couple dozen diseases that we see Things in common with autoimmune disease, but we're not sure, or we see are the diseases that are frequently comorbid with autoimmune disease. So things like fibromyalgia, Mm -hmm. it's not considered an autoimmune disease, but we see it incredibly commonly Mm -hmm. in conjunction, right? In the same person as a person who has autoimmune disease. So there's either, it's, either that fibromyalgia is autoimmune and we just haven't figured out what's being attacked yet, or that there's some way that the immune system is not functioning properly in fibromyalgia that if it's not, the way it's not functioning in autoimmune disease just leads, one leads to the other.
0: And then it's tricky too, Sarah, because some autoimmune disorders, they have the same symptoms. And then sometimes Hmm. those symptoms are vague or there may be no symptoms at all. So it's like uh, many times, you know, people they have like these intermittent problems and they think, oh, you know, it's just a it's just a bad day for my body and it could really be a problem, um, but they're not aware of it. You know, often people that, you know, they go years and years, you know, they may get a basic checkup, but they don't actually get these uh, these more uh, thorough tests to see, you know, how their levels are doing. That's, some, that's something that, uh, that you advocate for as far as people uh, get certain tests done uh, to make sure that their body is in optimum condition. Maybe you could talk about that. Maybe you could mm-hmm. talk about that. Maybe that. Could, maybe maybe how that can help someone maybe discover unknowingly that they may have an autoimmune disorder.
1: So, um, yeah, sort of, I have like three different answers I want to give you all at the same time. So I'm going to try and put that together coherently. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk to the, the first point that you were mentioning about um, autoimmune diseases looking very similar to each other. There's certain symptoms that seem to span a huge number of autoimmune diseases, and they tend to be symptoms that we dismiss, right? So it's things like fatigue, um, joint pain, headaches, anxiety or depression, um, digestive dif- difficulties, um, and we tend to, you know, various skin problems, rashes. We tend to, we tend to go, oh, well, you know, I'm distressed. Or, yeah, I get headaches all the time, whatever. You know, or, oh, my joints hurt, I'm getting old, right? We have all of these ways that we accept not feeling good. And we just, we just, you know, like, oh, well, whatever. It's not like I can do anything about it. And there's even diseases that are considered you know, diseases of old age, like rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. We don't have to get arthritis just because we get old. It's just that those are people that it's taken longer for um, diet and lifestyle and toxin exposure and the genetic predisposition to catch up to them in the form of an autoimmune disease than some, you know, a, a young woman who's getting Hashimoto's thyroiditis at puberty. So it's, it's we're so used to just saying, meh you know, whatever. So I'm tired. I'm run down. Mm -hmm. Right. I'll just caffeinate myself like whatever it is. Right. We just we we self-medicate. We take, you know, drink a couple glasses of wine to help us sleep at night because we're not sleeping well. And we drink three cups of coffee in the morning because we didn't sleep well last night. And now we're going to stimulate ourselves and we try to mask it. But it always catches up with us. So there are tests that we can do to understand what's happening in our bodies but it's really important to also emphasize there's no one test Mm -hmm. that tells you for sure if you have an autoimmune disease and there's a huge collection of autoimmune diseases in which there is no test Mm -hmm. those autoimmune diseases are diagnosed purely based on this the symptom pattern and those diseases cannot be diagnosed until the disease gets bad enough that it's obvious and that's a horrible situation. So it's really important to kind of go like if you if you look at a list of of um, potential symptoms, right, if you have fatigue, muscle or joint pain, if you get headaches, if you have um, what's called brain fog, so you just don't feel like you're thinking very clearly, or you have trouble focusing, um, any kind of digestive problem, any kind of skin problem, um, you know, uh, if you have resistance to weight loss, um, these are all all things that are should be little red flags and it doesn't mean that you for sure have an autoimmune disease, but little things of, I think I need to find a doctor who might do some more detailed testing. Um, and maybe that's your family doctor. Mm -hmm. Maybe it means going and finding somebody with more of a functional medicine or integrative medicine specialty because they will tend to dig a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's certain tests that can be, you know, that are are at least can indicate that something's going wrong. So, um, Probably the most common one that's done to screen for autoimmune disease is called uh, ANA or anti-nuclear antibodies. Mm. Um, It's a type of antibody that our bodies will make against ourselves. If you have a positive ANA, you have autoimmune disease. If it's negative, though, you still might have it. So Mm. it's one of those things that it can be instructive, but it's not the be all and end all. Um looking at um so various autoimmune diseases, for example, um Hashimoto's thyroiditis, celiac disease, they have antibodies that are defined. So we know which antibodies are made and we can measure them in the blood. So there's certain and and unfortunately some of the more common autoimmune diseases we can test for that in the blood. Um celiac disease is also tested by biopsy, so you can actually have no antibodies in your blood, but the biopsy will show that you have celiac disease. And then there's a a variety of autoimmune diseases that are um, diagnosed based on uh, imaging, so like a, a CT scan or an MRI. Mm. Um, not, some some can be diagnosed with a simple X-ray, but but usually it requires a higher higher um, higher uh, definition than that. Right.
0: So I think I think I think, the, I think uh, you know just to, just to kind of underline what you're just saying, uh, it's very important. For people to realize that getting an annual basic health checkup is not enough, they must go farther than that. A person, a person who has the occasional headache, will uh, say, "Oh, I'm just tired," and they think that if they eat salad or or, or or if they prepare meals a certain way, that overall they're a healthy person. And while and while those things obviously can uh, assist you, uh, you know, the 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 best way to uh, recognize your state of health is to actually, uh, you know, uh, do what Sarah is, is suggesting is starting off with an a a test and going a bit farther to see where you stand uh, in regards um, to your health. So um, as we as we uh, ma- as we make the transition, I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's Magazine Best Web Hosting Service. Let's talk about when it comes to uh, the AIP protocol hmm. And when it comes to these other kind of uh, similar uh, varieties, like you have the GAPS diet, you have the what's, what's the other one, the SACD? yeah. Uh, now, because because the thing about it, the thing about it, like I said, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Sarah. I I recommend uh, this diet. You know, this is a great way to uh, reverse things and see some relief. But you know, what about the person that says, I, I know she she's probably right. But it's too restrictive. Is there a bridge, of, is there like a bridge diet they can go to as they make their way to the AIP?
1: Yeah, so I think paleo or primal diet is a great stepping stone for people. So if people are eating a typical Western diet, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether or not that person wants to jump right into the autoimmune protocol, I think depends a lot on how sick they are Mm -hmm. how aggressive their disease is how motivated they are Mm -hmm. um you know the faster they go to aip the faster they'll see improvements and what the autoimmune protocol is is you know at its heart it's an elimination diet Mm -hmm. so it's a diet that eliminates all of the problems while also focusing on flooding your body with nutrients Mm -hmm. and then it has what's called a reintroduction phase so you start with this more more strict version of it and then you start adding in some of these foods that are, you know, there may be, maybe might be well tolerated. So you can mm-hmm. get, you know, you can get those more, I don't want to say like comfort foods or like high reward foods, right? They're foods mm-hmm. that just make like, chocolate, right? Chocolate makes everybody happy. It does. So, it, um, makes, it
0: makes me very happy, Sarah. Yes. So as, it's as, a food Especially, that... especially the dark chocolate.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I,
0: I love any, anything that's between a uh, 70 and 90%. I love it. It yeah, is so an 80,
1: amazing. I'm an 85 to 90% girl myself.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> um
1: so I think that and and it's important to emphasize that even though chocolate is not included in the strict AIP, it's one of the very very first reintroductions. So if anyone heard, "Oh my gosh, I have to give up chocolate and bagels, like I'm never doing this." Like, don't worry. And there's also some great ways to replicate the chocolate flavor in a very nutrient dense wonderful way. So it's a diet that um is is drawn on from a few thousand different scientific studies Mm -hmm. and compared to GAPS or SCD, Uh, The AIP can hang its hat on it has been validated in a clinical trial for multiple sclerosis and shown to be beneficial. Mm. Um, And there's actually ongoing um, clinical trials to to delve even further and to do, you know, bigger samples of people and, and get even more information about how the autoimmune protocol can reverse symptoms of disease. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing to be able to see not to mention the few hundred thousand people who have their own anecdotal stories out there who have tried this and seen amazing success. But as we're doing this bridge to it, you know, I I sort of tell people like part of it is understanding what kind of person you are. Are you a person who does better with rip off the bandaid muscle through my couple week transition period and just jump in with both feet? Or am I a person who's going to do better with baby steps and both are fine Um, it's just what is going to be more sustainable for you and are you going to do baby steps and be frustrated that you're not seeing the results you want? Because if you're going to be frustrated and you're not seeing results, like you need to know if you're going to take a baby step approach, you might not see the, the results until you've done all the baby steps. Mm-hmm. Or are you a person who's going to try this all-in approach and then you're going to hit rebellion mode where you're like, you know, I I can't do this anymore and I'm just going to cheat now mm-hmm. and you're just going to fall off the wagon. Well, if you're going to be that person, then maybe a baby step approach is better. So, you know, looking at how you've successfully accomplished healthy changes in the past and letting that inform your approach. And then I think that starting with, I mean, you can go all the way back to just going gluten-free. Like if you are following a a Typical, you know, Western diet. You've been, you know, listening to, to different people, and you can start with just gluten free, and then you can go with grain free, and then you can add dairy free, and then you can add legume free, and then you can start working on adding more of these nutrient powerhouse foods like shellfish and lots of vegetables. And you can do this stepwise approach, um, or you can go, hey, like tell me what, tell me what to do, and I'll just do it, and I'll just give it a month, and then I'll start playing with adding foods back in and i think that both of those approaches are entirely valid the most important thing here is you know it's a discovery process so um every person is an individual our diseases are all a little bit different our bodies are all a little bit different and there is a there is a A discovery process of figuring out what our bodies need to thrive Mm -hmm. versus what our bodies tolerate, and then finding sustainability living somewhere between those two lines. So, the idea is to figure out what keeps you healthy that you can maintain for the rest of your life. This isn't a I'm not going to lose 10 pounds for that wedding next month diet. This is all about health and um, health for the long term. So, finding Find, like there's a huge aspect of the autoimmune protocol that is self experimentation. Um, so once you've gone through that elimination phase and you're starting to feel better and you're seeing that your immune system is starting to cooperate and not attack you anymore, then you get to start experimenting. And the idea is to to really hone in on that that range that um, that we can you know, we can maintain forever. And it's not just about food, right? So getting enough sleep is tremendously important. And managing stress is tremendously important. And being active is right. tremendously important. So it's it it's something that requires dedication and commitment. It's okay if it takes some time to integrate all of those different pieces, mm-hmm. because this isn't about right this isn't about quick fix there's no quick fix these diseases didn't start overnight we're not going to get better overnight it's about figuring out what our bodies need so that we can a halt the progression of our diseases many people put their diseases into complete remission and let's avoid accumulating autoimmune diseases this is one of those like horrible statistics is that once you have one autoimmune disease on average, you'll develop another one every 10 years.
0: Wow. And yeah. that, Let's go into that. Yeah. Um, so you said kind of, the, so in your medical opinion, you said the best bridge diets uh, kind of going to AIP is paleo and primal. Maybe you could spend about, you know, 30 to 35 seconds and explain the difference between paleo and primal because primal, uh, I've heard of it, but many people don't exactly know what it is.
1: Yeah. So the difference is really that primal includes high quality dairy. I mean, that that's, Done. Period. Okay. Let me take thirty <laughs> seconds. So some people would call that lacto paleo. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the variations of paleo. So paleo uh, is typically defined as no grains, no dairy, no legumes, no refined oils, no refined sugar, no processed food chemicals. Um, primal allows high quality, basically grass fed dairy. Mm-hmm. There's another variation called the Perfect Health Diet, which allows high-quality dairy and white rice. I see. Um, and these are all, you know, they're part of a family of of diets. They all come from very, very similar rationale. Um, and where the differences come from is very interestingly where the scientific literature is not really cut and dry. So I can come up with a really good argument why dairy is not a great food and a really good argument why high-quality grass-fed dairy is a great food.
0: Yeah, and, I, because, and I get that. That's definitely, yeah. we get, that's definitely another episode. Definitely. Uh, I, I want to get to the questions because as, uh, as I told you before, I'll be able to... Have of
1: them, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. But we're going to cover as many as as we can.
1: Let's do it.
0: And it uh, starts with Siobhan. Uh, Siobhan says, uh, Hi, Sarah. I want to know your thoughts on how to feed a healthy biome on AIP when starch is off the table due to HLAB-27, Calabasa Association, I guess with IBD and uh, AS.
1: Um What yeah. would you say to that? So, first, I would say that having the b twenty seven variant of human leukocyte antigen gene is uh, not dooming you to a no starch diet for the rest of your life, um, and neither is inflammatory bowel disease. And in fact, starchy foods are incredibly important for a healthy microbiome. Um, I'll back up and say the two groups of food that have the biggest corrective influence on the gut microbiome are insoluble fiber from vegetables. So that's, your cruciferous vegetables, your leafy greens, and um, long-chain omega-3 fatty acids from seafood, so fish and shellfish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So those are foods that are really, really important to focus on. The thing with um, both uh, you know, the soluble fiber starches and insoluble fiber is that our bacteria help us digest that. And when we have an undergrowth, which you can have from following a no-starch diet from a very long time, and it's one of the limitations of... Um, GAPS diet and a C D diet is that they tend to be very corrective over the short term for overgrowth, and then you end up bouncing into this undergrowth phase. So they're they're better they're better as short term interventions.
0: Okay. But
1: but um, and same with low FODMAP diets. It's the same the same problem. So. What we want to do is we want to um, not have bad guys growing in our gut, and we want to have lots of good guys. And we need to feed the good guys in order for them to grow. And the more good guys we have, they will actually take control of – of making sure the bad guys can't grow by themselves. So part and, of that- and that's,
0: something, and that's something you talk more uh, in your book, uh, mm-hmm. The Paleo Approach, which I definitely recommend people to get a copy. Uh, kind of going to the next question with Christina. Christina said, uh, I know you talk a bit about uh, histamine on your show, uh, but she says it's a much more complex issue. Perhaps uh, uh, you can talk more about uh, healing with histamine as well as as well as mass cells issues. Actually histamine is something I, I struggle with too. So I'll be happy if you could speak to that.
1: Yeah, so histamine intolerance comes from when um it can come from two things. So it can either come from our body's not degrading histamine properly. That typically is something that goes along with um an unhealthy gut. So the cells that line our gut are the dominant cells in our body that produce the enzymes that degrade histamine. So if they're not healthy, they're not doing their job of degrading histamine. And then it can come from the other side of having the wrong types of bacteria growing our gut that produce too much histamine. Mm. And that the standard protocol is to follow a low histamine version of a paleo diet or the autoimmune protocol. So avoiding an additional um, collection of foods. Unfortunately, some of them are really nutritious foods like fish tends to be high histamine. Mm-hmm. But um, And it's it's not a doesn't have to be a complete avoidance it's just avoidance below symptom level so you can have a little bit of fish a lot of people find that very very fresh fish is fine or um, some canned fishes are fine so it um so it's basically there's a huge variation in the histamine content of even even one specific food because it's the histamine production in those foods is uh, related to handling Mm -hmm. so if it hasn't been thoroughly chilled or stored for a very very long time those foods will have higher histamine content. So there's a part of this, which is avoiding those foods. Then there's a part of it that is increasing um, or working on gut health. And so that we're able to get, you know, these production of these enzymes that degrade histamine. Um, There's a, uh, I guess, medium chain triglycerides. one of the fats from coconut oil has been shown to increase our ability to produce these enzymes. Um, but really it's, it's a, it's a time and patience thing and it's a extra complication that is no fun. Um, there are some functional medicine specialists that will give you one of these enzymes in tablet form to have with your meals. And some people find that that helps a lot. Um, but it really is, I mean, I, I know it's, it's frustrating. Simply say,
0: simply say, you know, everything takes time and, Ooh. uh, you know, to listener, Christina, I'm... I'm definitely with you. Uh, I have the same problem. Uh, so, uh, again, it's just you have to find what works. Uh, for me, you know, I have I have weird reactions. Like, for example, uh, pineapples, papaya is definitely high histamine, but I could tolerate pineapples much better than I could tolerate papaya. So it's just, uh, it's just something you have to test. It requires patience and hopefully what Sarah added, Uh, It's helpful. Um, This next question is from Duro. Uh, Duro says, hi, Sarah, I would like your uh, I'll be interested to know your take about mold and autoimmune disease. I know people who have psoriasis and they go to Israel uh, and they don't change their diet a bit and they come back feeling great the rest of the year. What would you say to that? Do you think the climate has something to do with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's sort of two parts to this question. So the first is, you know, mold can be an environmental toxin that can contribute to autoimmune disease. So, you know, dealing with, you know, mold growing in your air ducts or whatever at home, mold in your walls. I mean, that's that's definitely something that can be very, very important for people to to be able to remove a trigger from their environment. But when you go on vacate, this is a very common um common experience that people will go on vacation um not just israel but you know you'll hear people who i went to greece for a week Uh, i went to france for a week and they'll find that they are asymptomatic while they're gone and then often what will happen is they'll come back and they'll be like oh i was eating baguettes the whole time i was in paris how come i came back and i can't eat this bagel i thought that meant i was fine with bread now and this comes back to just how important stress and sleep are and how our bodies respond to food. So typically when you're on vacation, you're sleeping more and mm-hmm. you're, you're under a lot less stress. And those are huge inputs to the immune system. They're huge inputs to how our bodies digest foods. They're huge inputs to how the gut barrier is functioning. So it's a very common experience. And it, really what it needs to emphasize for people when they come home It's not that that food is a good food, but rather just how big of a contributor stress and, and chronically not getting enough sleep are in our
0: conditions. Yeah, that's good to know. I hope that was helpful, Dora. Uh, Jamie says, um, uh, Sarah, do you have any upcoming research on the AIP diet and its effectiveness, or if, or if there is already published research about it? Yes. Uh, she She would like to know more success stories, especially regarding Hashimoto's.
1: So Dr. Terry Walls has um, published results from a clinical trial that she ran using the autoimmune protocol and multiple sclerosis, and she is um, recruiting for another clinical trial. Um, And that she is really the spearheading the um, clinical trial research with the autoimmune protocol at the moment. And because her particular interest is multiple sclerosis, that is the current focus Um, at the moment. Um, the research community tends to be focusing in on actually some interesting conditions that are comorbid, like um, polycystic ovarian s- syndrome. Um, but as far as I know, there is nobody running a clinical trial looking specifically at uh, rates with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. That being said, Hashimoto's thyroiditis being such a common autoimmune disease, there's probably more anecdotal stories out there of people using AIP for hashies than there are any other Um, autoimmune condition.
0: Mm, mm, Great. Uh, Corey asks, um, I would like to know why I hurt so much when I eat something not on AIP, but Mm -hmm. I never had that happen before I went AIP.
1: Yeah. So that is one of those huge frustrations. So part of it is when we gradually start to feel better, when we all of a sudden put us back to how we felt before, it feels a lot worse because Mm -hmm. we've got used to it before, right? It's like you go into the monkey house at the zoo and it stinks and then you get used to it and then you come out and it's like, oh, fresh air's level, lovely. You go back in, you're like, oh yeah, this does stink, right? Mm -hmm. So part of it is that effect, but the other part is how the immune system is working. So there's two aspects to the immune system, one that's responsible for the reaction and one that is uh, a restraining, so it holds the reaction sort of in check so it doesn't go too crazy.
0: Mm.
1: And the cells that are responsible for restraining A reaction to a food die off faster than the cells that cause the reaction. Mm -hmm. So when you've eliminated a food for a while, um, what happens when you eat that food again is your body still remembers that it wants to react to that food, but there's nothing restraining that system and holding it back, so that the reaction is more violent. But that's actually the physiological mechanism that elimination diets are based on. That's why they are still the gold standard for diagnosing food sensitivities.
0: Mm. And kind of going to that, this is kind of my own question. to segue, uh, I have to ask you this because uh, I, I get so many, I get so many answers from medical professionals, but I really trust, uh, I really, I really trust uh, your opinion and, and, and the work that you've been doing. And that is. Uh, would you say that it depends on a person as far as just going AI or just, just just testing for food sensitivities, on elimination diet? Or would you say uh, would you say it's best to get an actual medical test done to get screened for that? or would you say it depends on a person? So the
1: problem with uh, the medical tests for food sensitivities is there's ways that we can react to foods that we currently don't have testing methods to diagnose. Mm-hmm. So you could go get a blood panel done um, and go get some results, but you could still be reacting to foods even on that panel and that, that test can't tell you that. Um, but where those tests can come in handy is when people are doing something like the autoimmune protocol and they're still having symptoms, what that may mean is that there's a food that is normally included on the autoimmune protocol, but they have a food sensitivity to that food. And it could be something like really random, like lettuce, Mm -hmm. right? Like it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a a top 10 allergen type food. Mm -hmm. And so then food, especially when it's complicated. So, you know, you can keep food journals and monitor symptoms and monitor what you're eating and see if you can some, draw some lines between one and the other. When it gets complicated, if it's three or four different foods, it becomes harder to draw those lines, and that's where testing can be really, really helpful.
0: So, so, so you would say that you know perhaps it may, it may be just wise to, to do both, do elimination diet and, and get a medical screening, uh, just just to be uh, extra sure.
1: Just make sure to keep those test results, you know, they take them with a grain of salt because they can't tell you everything.
0: Okay, that's good to know, that's very helpful. Um, Beverly says, Sarah, do you have any plans to further your network uh, to Europe? Uh, It's in a great need here, I live in France.
1: So, um, you know, I try very hard that whatever resources I put out are available internationally. and certainly things like my consulting company my consultants can work with with people anywhere in the world um the paleo approach has been um translated into german and there's a spanish translation coming so i know that in europe um, can be helped with the accessibility Um, in terms of you know regionally specific facebook groups it's just too much for me to manage, mm-hmm. um, even with a team of, of volunteers. So I don't have any plans to to go that route just because uh, I'm only one person. I ah,
0: totally understand. <laughs> uh, Andrea said... Um... Uh, Sarah, when repairing a leaky gut, how important is it to rotate uh, foods, like a four-day cycle? She says, between my list of non-AIP and uh, IgG-sensitivity foods I'm avoiding, there's not much left to change up every day, let alone every four days. But I feel like I'm setting myself up for a new list of IgG sensitivities.
1: So not necessarily. So where that um, food rotation comes into handy is when when you're dealing with a situation of somebody with a very severely leaky gut and a really twitchy immune system. So when you have that combination of, uh, you know, a gut barrier that's not doing what it's supposed to and an immune system that's just way fired up, those are people that tend to just develop new food sensitivities, you know, just like with, with basically no stimulation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And when you, you are that person, it, then it becomes really important to do a food rotation, about a four day rotation, at least for a couple of months to give the immune system an opportunity to kind of figure itself out and the gut an opportunity to heal. And it becomes part of, you know, getting to the to the finish line. If you're not that person, you know, most people can um, follow an autoimmune protocol and not worry about food rotation. I do want to emphasize how important it is to find variety, even within additional, you know, problematic foods, if you've got food, you know, came up on your food sensitivity Mm -hmm. panel. Variety is one of the most important concepts for making sure that we are getting that full complement of nutrients. So still trying to to put some effort towards that.
0: Right. Uh, Max asks, uh, Sarah, how do I, how do, how do we know that the leaky gut is healed, especially uh, when, when, when I have, especially when we have problems like adrenal fatigue or hormone dysregulation?
1: So, you know, tests, for leaky gut, will only tell you if you have a severely leaky gut. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, you're really looking at symptoms of disease. You can do things like stool analysis that really only tells you about the gut microbiome. Um, at at you know at some point, it's really just based on. Um, you know how are your other symptoms going? And when you're dealing with adrenal fatigue, chances are good your gut's not healing as rapidly as it would without adrenal
0: fatigue. Right. And the last, and, and I, I have to keep this to the last question. Unfortunately, uh, everyone is listening. Our, uh, uh, Roberta says, um, uh, is, 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 uh, "Is this way of eating suitable for a person with several autoimmune diseases?"
1: Absolutely. I would say. Um, I would say this way of eating. It, it is just basically the most nutrient-dense, anti-inflammatory way that you can eat. Mm-hmm. And there's no nutrient that's missing. When you follow the autoimmune protocol, you are getting all of the essential and non-essential nutrients. Um, so it's definitely suitable. It's also suitable for people with, with other chronic illnesses. It doesn't mean that it's just autoimmune disease. Or people are going to benefit from this approach. Right.
0: I- I love the dozens of guests that uh, that I promote for upcoming interviews, people I have interviewed, uh, you definitely you definitely have one of the most uh, overwhelming uh, inquiries, uh, specifically about the work you do. And not only myself, but there are a lot of people that are listening that's also fans of your work. Uh, since we couldn't answer all of the questions, Sarah, uh, do you think it's possible maybe uh, maybe uh, after uh, after we get the, the this episode posted on the website, uh, maybe. Maybe you could maybe you could spend a, maybe an hour, maybe answering a few more if if you're not too busy.
1: Yeah, we can definitely find some venue for that, for sure. Okay,
0: great. So, so, so there you have you all. Uh, definitely, uh, you can go to the website uh, reachingthefinishline.com. Uh, once the episode archive is made available uh, within a few days, it airs uh, on AM and FM satellite radio, but it should be available on Sunday. Um, then Sarah will come in and uh, she'll 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 answer uh, some more questions as her time uh, permits. If people want to stay in contact with you and follow. How would they do that?
1: So you can find links to everything that I do, including all of my social media sites. If you just go to my website, which is www.thepaleomom.com, you can learn about my books, my podcast, and my television show pilot there.
0: Great, great. Sarah, thanks for being our guest.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, bestselling author and career strategist at seen in fast Company. And Ink Magazine If you're not on the email list You're missing out Go to reachingthefinishline.com And subscribe To get all the excuses